If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians, the letter of Paul to the Colossians. Turn there. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles at the back. Um, just raise your hand and one of, um, one of our serve team will bring you a Bible. Book of Colossians. In the coming weeks, what we're going to be doing is studying the book of Colossians. Um, and as a church, we are passionate about being faithful um, biblically. And so what we're going to be doing is walking through the book, of, um, the book of Colossians, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we are going to unfold what God has to say to the church of Colossians and how it relates to us as a church plant. And so I'm excited um, to get into this and also just to say in April our small groups are going to be starting and it will be an opportunity for us to gather outside of Sundays in smaller groups to apply this more to ourselves and so that's what we're going to be doing what I'm going to be start doing and so this morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2 and I'm going to read and if you can follow along with me it reads Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this moment in our life where we get to sit um, and not hear from a human, um, and not hear my ideas or anyone's thoughts or, or ideas, but we get to hear from you. And so, Father, we pray that you do the work only what you can do, and that is to take your word and apply it to our lives. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was once a man named Saul of Tarsus. And he was one of the great enemies of the early church. And his goal and purpose in life was to do everything in his power to destroy Christianity. After being involved in persecuting Christians in Jerusalem, he decides to travel to Damascus to do the same. Just before he travels to Damascus, he schedules a meeting with the high priest there. And what he wants from this meeting is a letter that gives him the authority to have any man or woman arrested who he suspected was a disciple of Jesus. Damascus was several hundred miles from Jerusalem. And as he draws near to Damascus... His life gets turned upside down. He is suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. He falls to the ground and he hears a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Trembling and astonished, Saul says, Who are you, Lord? And he hears a voice say, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now get up 
and go to the city, and there you will be told what you must do. In a careful manner, Saul manages to get on his feet, but when he opens his eyes, he realizes that he cannot see. He is blind. The men traveling with Saul pick him up, escort him to the city, and for three days he remains blind, and for three days he doesn't eat or drink anything. Now, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord appears to him in a vision and says to him, Hey, Ananias, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the house of a man named Judas, and there you will find a man named Saul. Ananias, knowing about Saul and the reputation he has for persecuting Christians, responds and says, um, I don't think this is a good idea. I've heard many reports about this man, Saul, and all the harm he has done to the Christians in Jerusalem. But the Lord says to Ananias, go to the house of Judas, and there I want you to lay hands on Saul and restore his sight, for I have chosen him to do great things for my people. Ananias reluctantly obeys and goes. When he gets to the house, he says to Saul, Brother, the Lord has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias then lays his hands gently over Saul's eyes and immediately his sight returns. Saul can see again. And not long after, Saul wastes no time. What he does is through um, baptism, he expresses his devotion and commitment to Jesus. Saul then spends several days with the Christians in Damascus. And what he does immediately is goes to the synagogues and start to share and tell people about Jesus. And all who heard about Saul and his conversion were amazed. They couldn't believe it. This was someone who was all about killing Christians because of your devotion to Jesus. Now this guy is committed to Jesus and he's all about Jesus and he's telling everyone about Jesus. People were amazed, couldn't believe it. They were blown away by the fact that this is the same man who fiercely persecuted the followers of Jesus Saul grew more and more influential and debated the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After Saul was converted, he became known by his Roman name, Paul, or Pao. <laughs> this same Paul eventually became one of the most influential and important figures in the history of our Christian faith. He was the first great Christian theologian, and he's responsible for establishing some of the foundations of our Christian faith. He traveled tens and thousands of miles around the Mediterranean, spreading the word of Jesus and starting and planting new churches. 
He wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, crafting some of the most beautiful and important passages in the entire Bible. Paul lived fully for Christ. His life was for Jesus, and his life was all about Jesus. And as a result of his devotion to Jesus, he experienced constant persecution. He was eventually put in prison because of Jesus, but imprisonment didn't stop him from prison. He wrote several letters to churches and leaders encouraging them in the faith, challenging them to be faithful and addressing issues they encountered. And this same Paul, this same Paul is the author of this letter to the church in Colossae. And we know this from the first verse, which says, read it with me. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. In case anyone doubts his authority or questions the legitimacy of what he's about to share in this letter, Paul describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. Apostles were men chosen by Jesus to be his close companions. And to these men, Jesus gave authority to preach and heal. The apostles were Jesus' original 12 disciples. They became known as apostles after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended. And as they were going about preaching Jesus' message, people began to call them apostles. And the word apostle means someone who is sent. A messenger, an ambassador who represents the person sending them. Paul became an apostle even though he was not one of the original 12 disciples. And so in referring to himself as an apostle, Paul is reminding the readers that he's not simply a messenger He's more than that. He's an official representative of Jesus the Christ. In other words, what he's saying is that the content in this letter is not his opinion, but it's God's authoritative word. What he's writing to them is not his own thoughts or ideas or what he thinks. What he's writing to them is the very words of God. God that is spoken and inspired through him. Also, he lets them know that his apostleship wasn't something he earned through his own efforts. He wants them to know that his apostleship isn't something he went online and bought. They didn't have internet then. But just trying to relate it to you guys. Wasn't something he purchased. It wasn't something bestowed on him by a human organization. Paul makes it clear to his readers, the Colossians, that he's an apostle of Christ. Watch it by the will of God. Paul's life and story should be so encouraging for us. And the reason why I'm highlighting the author of this letter to the church in Colossae is because it reminds us that no one is beyond saving. No person is beyond God's grace. If God can save Paul, 
if God can rescue Paul who persecuted Christians and not only save him but use him greatly as an apostle, then we must believe that God is able to soften and save people you know or come in contact with that seems so far from him. Anything is possible with God. There is nothing impossible with him. As a church, King's Cross Church, this year, our mission, our vision is to see conversion growth. What I mean by that is, yes, we, wanna, we, we want to we, we be all about helping each other mature. And if there are believers in this city that doesn't have a church, we want to welcome them. But as soon as they come in, we want to be about, hey, conversion growth. We want to see God save people. We want to see Jesus rescue people. And so as we seek to engage and evangelize our friends and family and neighbors and colleagues who are far from God, let us be reminded that God is able to do far more than we could ask or imagine. Because if he could save Paul and could use Paul, God is able to save those who seem so far from him. So let's pray for opportunities and boldness for gospel conversations. And then when God gives us those opportunities, let us have courage to share our faith. And when we share our faith, let's look forward to witnessing God save people. Verse 2, it says, Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Verse 2, to the saints and faithful brothers in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Colossae was one of three cities located about 100 miles inland from uh, Ephesus. If that doesn't mean anything to you guys, let me try and help you guys understand. So, for example, if Ephesus was San Diego proper, okay, Colossae is like Indio, all right? Or Joshua Tree, or Palm Tree, or Palm Tree, Palm Desert. <laughs> it should be called Palm Tree. Palm Desert, Palm Springs, but it's Palm Desert. I've seen Palm Desert somewhere. I'm right, right? It's Palm Desert, something. Okay, thank you, thank you, all right? So, that's where, th th that's Colossae. Right? It's not like a big city or anything. It's a, it's a city, but it's way inland. If you were to one day randomly find a time machine, I'm waiting for you to react to that. If you were to one day randomly find a time machine and go back in time, and if you were to end up in first century Colossae and hang out in the marketplace or the downtown or where most of the people congregate, you will come across people from diverse backgrounds and ethnicities. In this city, you will also discover that there is a prominent Jewish community. You will also become aware, aware of the fact that there was constantly an influx of new ideas and doctrines that were coming in from the East. Because of this, you could say that the city of Colossae was fertile ground for religious speculations and 
heresies. Spend more time in Colossae, and you'll encounter a mix of cults and religious philosophies. And among the many different subcultures represented in that city, you would find a group of people who call themselves Christians. Thank you. And this is the community Paul is writing to. This letter, it tells us in verse 2, is for the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. It's not a letter for every resident in the city of Colossae. Paul's not writing to the Colossians, right? This letter is to the saints and faithful brothers who live there. In other words, it's addressed specifically to the Christians who live in that city. And when Paul refers to them as saints and faithful brothers and sisters, what he's doing is interesting. He's not just using those words randomly. Like, oh, to the saints and faithful, um, should I use saints? You know, he's not using it. He's using those words intentionally. And the reason why he's using those words intentionally is because he is reminding them of their identity in Christ. Of who they really are. Of the truest thing about them. Notice, Paul didn't say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brothers, to the Colossians. He didn't say that. He says to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae. He is highlighting who they really are. He is emphasizing their identity in Christ. So, for example, if someone was to write a letter to King's Cross Church right here in San Diego... They would want to, rem- and they wanted to remind us of our true identity. What they would say is to, they wouldn't say to the San Diegans, okay? They wouldn't say that. Is that how you say San Diegans, right? Right? They wouldn't say that. If they wanted to remind us of who we truly were, they would say to the Christians, to the faithful brothers and sisters who are in San Diego. That's what they would say. And this letter wasn't just for the Christians in Colossae. It was meant to, it was meant for every Christian in every age and generation. Your identity as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus should be your most valued identity. Your identity as a, Christian's need to, as a Christian needs to shine more brightly than any other thing or person or place that you identify with. What are you looking to to define who you are? Let me ask that question again. What are you looking to to define who you are? If you were to ask the people that you work with, study with, hang out with, go to the gym with and pump weights with, whatever. If you were to ask those people, who am I? What would they say? What would they say? 
I hope the response is Obed is a follower of Jesus. Obed is a Christian. And I hope the same response you get is that you are a Christ follower. Your identity, who you really are, should be what God says about you. And if you're here and you're a Christian, there are so many passages that talk about who you are. And so may what God says about you be what defines you. Although Paul started many churches throughout his missionary journeys, he didn't start this church in the city of Colossae. This church was started by a co-worker of Paul's named Epaphras. Everybody say Epaphras. I can't hear you. Say Epaphras. I'm having you say it just to make sure I'm not butchering it. Epaphras was from the city of Colossae. He lived there. How did him and Paul meet? Paul met Epaphras during his time in Ephesus. Paul preached the gospel there. And when Paul was doing ministry there, at least two men from Colossae were there who, when they heard the gospel, were saved. And Epaphras was one of them. And when Epaphras got saved, he was so passionate about the Lord, what he wanted to see happen in his city was a church. And so he became one of the key founders of the church in Colossae. After several years of ministry in, uh, in Colossae, Epaphras visited Paul in prison because at this time Paul was in prison and gave him an update on how the Colossian, um, of, of, of the Colossians were doing. He says to Paul, Paul, here's an update. We're doing great. People are being faithful. People are loving each other. Everything is going great. But... Within Epaphras' update to Paul on how the church was doing, he also lets Paul know that there's been some cultural pressures that are beginning to entice them away from Jesus. And this had become a crisis. And this crisis had the potential to destroy the ministry there. And this was the primary reason why Epaphras visited Paul in prison. He needed Paul's help and wisdom on how to deal with these new doctrines and thoughts and ideologies that were beginning to, to propagate um, um, into the church. These new ideas were being taught and everyone was just going crazy about it in Colossae. And that's fine, but what was happening is these new teachings were beginning to infiltrate the church. And so Epaphras goes to get help from Paul. So in hearing this, Paul puts pen to paper and writes this letter to the Colossians in order to prove wrong these heretical teachings and establish them in the truth of the gospel. And this was the primary 
reason why Paul wrote this letter. This is what inspired this letter in the first place. So the question is, what are these heresies that threaten the peace and purity of the church? We're going to get there. I'm just giving you guys an overview, right? I hope I don't give you too much so that when you come and we're in chapter 2, you're like, I heard it all before. Cheers. (laughs) All right, chapter 2, verses 8 to 15 reveals to us that these cultural pressures, these heresies, was a combination of, of Eastern philosophy and Jewish legalism. All right? All these new Christians in the church had grown up religious. Their religion was all about worshipping the many Greek and Roman gods. And what they did was they said, hey, Jesus is this great guy. What we're going to do is include him as one more of the deities that we can worship. There was also pressure from the Jewish Christian community. Because remember, there was a prominent Jewish Christian community there. And what they claimed that non-Jews needed to perfect their commitment to the Messiah by following all the laws found in the first five books of the Old Testament. That is what they were requiring. They were like, you guys can't eat, you know, pork anymore. You know, can't have any ribs, pulled pork, you can't have that. All right? You've got to follow the laws of Moses, right? They were saying you guys have to, like, follow all, all the, all the, um, all the rituals and everything we do. You guys have to get circumcised as well and everything like that. That's what they were demanding of the people. And this kind of pressure from the Jewish community can be defined as the gospel plus deception. It's adding other lords and masters and things to our lives And in so doing, what we do is diminish the status of Jesus. It's adding something to the simple New Testament gospel of Christ Jesus. And so just like the church in Colossae, Kingswell Church of San Diego will constantly be in danger to the many theories and ideas and philosophies represented in our city. You don't need to go far. Right To realize that there are a lot of people out there that believe something different from you. All right? They believe just so many different. You guys are here from Louisiana. I'm getting welcome. But as you interact with people and you begin to engage and have gospel conversations, you will hear, and I hope one of you hears this, you will hear someone say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He's just like one of the other gods. He's like Gandhi. He's just like, you know, Muhammad. He's like Buddha and all of these people. And that is how a lot of people view Jesus. They view him as only one of several great religious teachers with no more authority than they. They say that Jesus 
may be prominent, but he is not preeminent. Mysticism, legalism, Eastern religions, and man-made philosophies are not only out there, but as a church, we're in danger because they have the potential to creep into our church. Warren Risby, he's an awesome guy, theologian, pastor, he says this, They are not denying Christ, but they are dethroning him and robbing him of his rightful place of preeminence. And what I mean by preeminence is that is Jesus enough? Is that how we view Jesus? Are we so fully satisfied in Christ that we view him as all-consuming, our everything. Is he enough for us? Do we treasure Jesus Christ? Are we living our lives for Jesus? Or are we living our lives for ourselves? Is Jesus our all in all? Is he our savior? Absolutely. But is he our Lord? Is he our master? Are we living our lives for Jesus? And this is why one of the reasons the book of Colossians is a book that is fitting and suitable for us as a church to walk through together. Because what Colossians does is that it drills us deeper into greater devotion to Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul prays for the church. In verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1, Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, Paul prays that the church in Colossae would possess a greater wisdom and spiritual understanding about Jesus. And then what Paul does is that he transitions to a poem to help them do exactly that. Verses 15 and 20 of chapter 1 has to be one of the most well-known, but that one of the most beautifully crafted um, um, parts of Scripture. This poem is all about the crucified and exalted Messiah. And in constructing this poem, Paul borrows imagery and language from the books of Genesis, Exodus, and Psalms, and Proverbs. It's beautifully crafted to communicate the preeminence of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It shows us how Jesus is the true image of God. He is the firstborn who shares in the identity of the one true creator God and by him everything has been created. It's in Jesus Christ that we discover the author and king of creation. 
This part is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful because it communicates who Jesus is. And who Jesus is is that he is not just one God or a good man, but Jesus is the visible image of the living God. Basically, Jesus is God. And he's your savior. And he's your Lord and he's your king. And we as Christians, if we say we're Christians, which means we are people that are all about Jesus and follow Jesus and Christ-like, our lives must be rooted deep in Christ. And as it does, we will live lives that communicate to the world and people around us that Jesus is enough and he's our all in all. We're going to get into these verses. And what happens is that this letter then concludes by exploring the new way of life Jesus' resurrection has opened up for them. And we're going to get really practical. This letter is going to talk about marriage and how husbands and wives, wives and husbands are supposed to relate to each other. It's going to talk about um, parenting and all of these things. But what happens is that Paul exalts Christ. And as he exalts Christ, he says, this Jesus is more preeminent than all of these religious and other gods you have. And then he points them back to Christ and then he helps them explore the new way of life Jesus' resurrection has opened up for them. So I hope you guys are excited to get into Colossians. We'll dive deep into the book of Colossians and our goal, um, and I borrowed this from the Bible Project. And if you don't know about the Bible Project, just type it in. But our goal is to see Jesus as the center of all reality so that we may not give in to pressure from other religions. And so that is the reason why we want to dedicate the coming weeks to studying Colossians. It's an amazing book. And the author, Paul, is an example of God's magnificent power to save people. And so thanks for your time. Um, so much to say, but my time's up. But love you guys, and I'm looking forward to diving deeper into Colossians. Pray with me. Oh, Father. Thank you for being faithful to us. Thank you um, for providing King's Cross Church with a letter um, like Colossians that will help us know Jesus more. And help us live lives um, that reflect who he is. So thank you for reminding us through the life of Apostle Paul that you are mighty to save. Thank you for reminding us that 
the most effective protection and fight against the heresies or ideas that will come through and try and infiltrate our church is us simply looking at Jesus and being reminded that he is preeminent. You've done so much for us, Father. We are here and we desire for you to do great and mighty things. And so as a church, may you enable us and may you cause us to grow in our love for you and in our devotion to you. Father, may we grow in our intimacy with you, our lives, our everything. We want to know you more, Jesus. And so, Father, as we take steps to knowing you more and knowing your son more, May you open up the eyes of our hearts so we may see you and know you in ways that we haven't previously. We love you. And so as we sing, may we not just sing these songs and be distracted by what we have to do next. But Father, may we take this time to sing these truths and be reminded that these truths we're singing are true. We're not just singing for ourselves, but we're singing with and for each other. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.